Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Savopedia. Uh, we're going to have Lee calling in tonight. And due to COVID, we've been doing these phone uh, interviews and phone shows because of the whole pandemic. So, you know, social distancing and such. But we hope to have in-person episodes very, very soon. Uh, and that will improve the sound quality of the show. And I think it'll be a little bit more enjoyable uh, when we can all get back together face-to-face and uh, we'll have a lot more interaction. So I think that's going to be great and I'm looking forward to that. And I'd also like to say lately we've received a lot of feedback on our last aviation episodes. Uh, We've done two so far and they were two of our highest rated shows, got the most listens. So Uh, We did receive some emails, and we're going to touch on that tonight, and a really hilarious story at the end, so stay tuned for that. So we hope you enjoy this week's edition of Savopedia. So today we're going to talk about the airline grounds crew. Is that their proper name? Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a, a blank. I think ground operations might be what they call themselves now, but it's close enough. Yeah. So I know they work with the flight crew, the pilots. Um, you see them in and out of the plane. What do they actually do with the pilots or, you know? So what? There's, a, there's a few different... Uh, Parts of the ground or, or divisions of the ground crew, I guess you could call it. So you, you have maintenance operations or the mechanics go by the, the name Provo Provisioning, who mm-hmm. are the ones who do the catering. And then you've got the baggage handlers. So there's normally be three different uh, sets of people. So the people that you normally see besides the provisioning people, going to see the baggage agents or anything on the plane unless you know they have to take a a bag off and put it down below normally you're going to see maintenance in the cockpit and what they're doing is there might be like a squawker or something going on which is just like a hiccup with the uh with the flight controls or the computers so maintenance is just checking on it and they're signing off in the log books i I think Anytime there is a maintenance issue, they have to get sign off from the flight crew and maintenance, kind of like a double check. So that's most likely what you're seeing in there is the maintenance guys. Sometimes you'll see um, big agents bringing paperwork as well. The paperwork is going to contain everything that's relevant to the flight. It's going to have all the passenger names, uh, where they're sitting. I think it has where they're sitting. Um, has the flight information weather and all that where uh where they're going and to where they're coming from potentially but usually that's in the dispatch paperwork which is just the flight crew gets but before each flight that's they always have that flight manifest like you see in the movies that's printed out at the gate and you'll, so you'll see them bringing that into the flight deck as well but they don't need to sign anything on that they're just handing that to the flight crew and that's kind of <clears throat> when, when when you get updates in flight before you're about to land the flight attendant says we have gate information for you it's from that paper that they were handed so that's why sometimes your gates are wrong because if you're on like a three to six hour flight gate information could change good to know so next time i'm yelling in the airport 
Yeah. I know why. It's, it's usually <clears throat> that. Um, for, for big airports like hubs, they're always, flight gates are always changing. Whenever there is a delay, you know, a delayed flight, if it's coming in late, or if a flight pushes back from a gate late, they have to swap all the gates around. I used to have to do that when I worked for one of the airlines. And uh, it can be like a big juggling act to try and figure out who goes where because they get it on time. And All three groups that you spoke about, are they employed by the airline, the actual airline, or are they more uh, airport workers? Well, that, that's a good question. It depends on the airport and the airline. Typically, the airlines are going to employ them unless you're at a small airport. For example, the airline I worked for had three flights in the morning and three in the evening, and they had one or two maintenance people. I think it was one maintenance person in the morning and one at night. So they had a need for it. But if you go to a real small airport or, or a, uh, a small airline that, or not even a small airline, maybe it's a large airline that only operates one or two flights a day, they may contract that maintenance out to a third party and the same with the baggage handling. It just depends on is it worth them investing all that time and, and money and, and everything into having staff or just is it more beneficial for them to bring on contracted services. But majority of the time, they all work for the airline. Yeah, interesting. So you, you mentioned the, the baggage loading and unloading. Um, I've seen from what I've seen on YouTube and and other shows that uh, besides the baggage, there's a lot more being flown on each flight, is right? Like mail, cargo, et cetera. Yeah, there's there's a lot being being put on board, and when you know when you check in, and let's say you, you're you're bringing large items, so you've got like golf clubs or skis or snowboards, mm -hmm. anything large like that that you would check in. That stuff is considered oversized items. And, you know, they charge extra for that. There's also a lot of times mail is put on board. Cargo is put on board if the airline has it. They like to contract out to the, the post office because they're making money doing that. Um, and, of course, you'll, you'll see every now and then the boxes that say human remains. So, you know, if you have a, let's say you have a relative or friend who may have passed uh, while on vacation or just they're transporting them back to, to another state, you'll see them fly human remains. Uh, on board as well in the cargo they try not to make it obvious what it is mm -hmm. it's probably usually just like a, a white box or something um but there's only so much space they can fill with the bottom of the aircraft hold but they try to maximize their revenue by charging for whatever they can obviously one thing i always thought about sometimes they well I think most of the times they put pets down there if you're traveling with a pet. Obviously, the cargo hold is also pressurized, correct? It is pressurized and temperature controlled. Oh, it is? Okay. Uh, well, it would have to be for if there's pets because mm. they wouldn't be able to survive in those temperatures. The temperatures when you're at like 32,000 feet, it's, there's no way. I don't believe anything could survive at that altitude. I mean, it's, it's in the minus. No yeah. degrees at that point, uh, so they would need to have some way of keeping the pets alive. But you know, on occasion, pets don't survive down there too. So it's not like the ideal conditions to put. I don't. I don't think a living being of any 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 sort. Yeah. You know, it's probably really dark. I don't even know if they have lights on in there. 
Uh, mm. I, I would assume they don't have, well, they would probably have lights on, but not while they're in flight. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of cargo containers in there. It'd be it wouldn't be comfortable to be in there, but that's why pets are in cages underneath there. Got it. Got it. I often wondered. So the grounds crew, besides like the, we already mentioned baggage and, and the folks that are working with the crew. How about, um, I'm sure there's a list of things going on when I, when I'm sitting on a plane waiting to be, you know, pushed out right onto the tarmac. Um, I see a whole boatload of people walking about the plane. So, um, I'm sure there's fuel and food and cleaning and so are they all on the same teams or, uh, I don't know how to phrase that. Of, so a lot of times I would say probably all the time, um, as far as when, before you get on board, you're going to see the people in there cleaning. Those are not employees of the airline. They're, they work for the airport or the airport hires companies to do the cleaning and then they, they pass those keys on to the airlines itself. Um, but the crew also does help clean, but the vacuuming and all that, that's done by a third party. And usually in between flights, the flight attendants, if they're staying on board, will typically do a walk through the cabin and clean up what they can. The gate agents will help. Um, I don't see the pilots doing it as often because they have a lot going on in, for the flight deck itself. So they, there's, it could be a number of people that are just helping try and tidy up the cabin. If it's, and a flight that's remaining overnight, the first flight of the day, usually clean the night before, so you won't see that, and they do more of a thorough cleaning. But if it's in between flights, they just do a quick vacuum. They, they put the seatbelts, they cross them to make them look more presentable, I suppose. And um, besides the cleaning crew, then you've got flight attendants doing all their safety checks, and you'll see them in the galleys a lot of times, uh, taking stock of what they have and locking everything up. There's a provisioner people they do they, they'll just bring the carts in and they'll put them underneath in a lot you know close up latch the flight and have to go through and see what they have they have to open up the ice bags and, and do other stuff that they need to do the flight crew is going through all their checks and and making sure that the flight plan is in put in the computer and the, the plane is safe to operate like you said you get the fuelers those are not uh, those are airport employees so they're um they just do their thing. They they know how much fuel to put on board because the airline has operations people, which is one of the jobs I did as well, where you tell the um, fuelers how much fuel needs to get on board. Sometimes that'll change, and the captain will tell them, hey, we want more fuel because we're going to an area that may have some weather, or uh, we just want more fuel because we feel comfortable having a little bit more fuel on board. Um, who else is oh, we missing? Uh, you get the gate agents who are, you'll see them on the plane a lot because they're always trying to find a passenger. Somehow they they miss the passenger. Mm -hmm. So you, back when I used to do it, the the ticketing process was everyone had a ticket and they would scan it. Now you have the smartphones, it's a little bit different, but they would reconcile the tickets at the, after everyone got boarded and we would go through our tickets and we'd mainly type in that ticket number in the computer and then we would know who's missing, who had checked in. And if that person had checked in but they're not on board, that's when you see the the uh, gate crew go on board and start gauging certain people to make sure they're on board because they want to make sure that everyone's accounted for, obviously, if something happens. And make sure so, no um, one's sitting at the, the bar. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot a lot that's moving, you know, at once, but it, it all 
works out and everybody knows what they have to do. And the typical turnaround time from when a plane lands to when it pushes back, if it's a back-to-back flight, is around 45 minutes. That's the goal. Sometimes it can get it done quicker. It really depends on how fast they can get the plane boarded up. Right. That seems to take the longest. Getting the bags on board doesn't take too long. Um, and then fueling doesn't really take too long as well because it's usually not something where they're filling the tank from empty to full. Right. It's not like a car where you go fill it up. They put just as much as they need. Right. So the, the guy fueling the plane or the, the person filling the plane, uh, that's their only job. They don't, they're not doing anything else. No, they are just uh, fuelers. I mean, I would, they may have other jobs that I'm not aware of, but mm-hmm. they would just be fueling up the plane because they're just going from plane to plane, filling it up. And, you know, it's an important job because they don't want to mess up. But the good thing is those fueling trucks, are, you know, they, they know how much fuel to put in. The plane also, you'll, you'll say how much fuel you want in, and it'll automatically stop the fuel when it gets oh. to a certain number. Uh, the trucks, I'm not sure if the trucks have the same feature. Um, back before it was all digital, the fuelers would have to watch the gauge tick up, and then they'd have to stop it. But now it's different, you know. You, 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 uh, if you've ever seen the videos, they the panels are all digital in the flight. I mean, in the um, in the in the fuel panel on the ground, so on, on the exterior of the aircraft, and you can type how much fuel you want to put on there, or the flight deck can uh, input how much fuel they want, and that's how they always know how much fuel they have because it reads it to the flight deck. It's kind of like a really advanced fuel gauge that you would have in your car. So now for the real important person, who pumps out the toilet? That is the ground crew, the baggage handlers. And I remember oh. it was always every morning we'd have a meeting, you know, who's, who's doing what. It would be the, the uh, before the flight. I think we, we, our shift started like a half hour before the flight, first flight of the day, which was like, I don't know, 6 in the morning. So we'd be there at like 5.30. We'd have a meeting with all the baggage handlers and the flight attendants. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, – the gate agents and the um, check-in agents. Who check-in agents and gate agents are really the same thing. It just depends what they're doing that day. So the supervisors or the on or the on-duty manager would tell us, you know, so and so you're going to be uh, at the gate today. So and so is going to be at the ticket counter. Uh, you know, so and so is going to be the gate lead who does all the announcements and reconciles all tickets. And then, you know, this other person is going to be the ticket counter uh, lead who at that, for that airline, that person would be the only one who could take cash and who would work the first class line. Mm-hmm. And they would be in charge of letting the baggage handlers know when the last bag was sent for a particular flight. At the time, we would put a, um, a tag on it and say last bag for whatever flight. So they knew. And we would call down to the baggage handlers on radio and say last bag for, you know, flight one, two, three. Um, so. So whoever draws the short straw that day has to clean yeah. the toilet. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. So, <laughs> or pump out the toilet. I, I, I got, I, sorry, I got sidetracked there. I forgot the question. So the person who does the toilets is part of the ground crew, the baggage handlers, and they'll say, when they're telling everyone who's doing what that day, they'll say so-and-so's on lab, and they just drive a lab truck. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not like you're scooping out anything. No, just, no. They, up, it's like the gas. You just yeah. hook up the hose to, you open up a panel, just like the fuel. You open up a panel, you hook up the hose, and you push a button. And then it pumps, pumps out the uh, the waste and pumps in, we call it the blue juice, the blue water. Yeah. 
is a, that stuff would just would kill bacteria and kill odors, although you could always smell the lab, so it didn't do that great of a job. And it stained <laughs> So, And you have to hope there's no uh, leak in, the, in the, the tube. Yeah, you would hope there's no break. I'd never worked. The only part of ground operations I did, as I did a little bit of everything, was um, I never loaded the bags, but I would bring the bag, the oversized bag, down to the baggage room, which for our airline actually wasn't in a baggage room itself. It was kind of like a, an overhang outside where all the bags came. Because first they'd have to go through TSA and all that, and they'd go through all the security. Um, they have like the x-ray machines and all that, and then they would automatically find their way out to um, to the, the baggage handlers or the baggage room. If we had like oversized like golf clubs, we'd have to manually because you couldn't put those in the belt, so we'd have to manually bring them down to the CSA bag room and leave them there. And then when they're done scanning, they would just leave the golf clubs or the, or, or, um, the keys or whatever it is right where you left them. So then you'd pick them up and you'd bring them over to the uh, baggage handlers to, to put, on the, um, put on the aircraft. So mm -hmm. that was the extent of my baggage duties. So uh, it was, it's definitely a tough job. Yeah, I would say so. I guess they're always busy. Um, yeah, they're always busy and having to uh, lift heavy bags all the time. Yeah, good workout anyway. Yeah, and then also two of the two of the baggage handlers are always also going to be the wing walkers. So you'll see those guys with the batons oh, in their hands yeah, when yeah. you're backing up because you need to make sure they're there to make sure that you're clear and you don't hit anything. Mm -hmm. So you've got them walking there, and then you've got a third baggage handler who's pushing the tug, driving the tug, who's talking to the flight crew, telling them, you know, we're going to push you back now. and Or he'll, or the flight crew, him or her, whoever's in charge of the cap, whoever is the captain, will say, we're ready to push back. And so the guy who pushes him back. The yeah, so the guy who pushes him back, is that the guy the pilot usually waves out the window to? Yeah, well, they'll wave out to the window to them. They're on headset, so they can hear them. Yeah. But but the, the marshaller, when they're coming in, instead of a tug, they're, they're called the marshals, the ones who, who do the hand signals, and those are kind of like when they tell you which direction they'll, they'll point to either the right or the left to tell the captain which way to turn because they're not on headset then, and mm -hmm. then when they cross their arms, I mean stop. Uh, and Because certain airplanes have to stop on certain lines to make sure the jet bridge will meet the... Meet the uh, will line up with the door but when when the flight comes in you have to go drive the jet bridge a bit and that was kind of tricky to learn how to drive that thing and get it just right and not really you don't want to hit the plane you just want to kiss it yeah because you don't want to damage the plane so that was tough too because you had to like use your rear view mirror and make sure you're when you're backed it away from the plane that it was in a little box right not so much ground crew related but as you're talking um one thing i always wondered when the plane is backing up under its own power or coming in or taxiing on the runway, are they using the actual jets to move them along or do they have like some sort of drivetrain? No, those are the engines. So they don't typically back up because it's, it, it takes a lot of power to back up the airplane because mm -hmm. the planes don't really, they have what's called reverse thrust, but that's really not to really used to re put the, plane in reverse it's more just to deflect the thrust so it goes out the side so it, it slows down the plane all right so the the older like md80s could back up on their own but it you know it, it's it's a lot of wear and tear and it's blowing a lot of 
thrust behind it. So they don't want to do that. So the, the, the tug is always going to push the plane back. But once they push it back to a point, and you'll hear the engines turn on, but once they're done pushing back, once that plane's on its own power. So when it comes in, it's on its own. And once the tug pushes it back to a, enough of a clearance where it can, the plane can make its own turns on its own, it's right. under its own power at that point. So the only time it hooks up is really when they're pushing it back or unless it has an issue and they have to pull it back to the gate. And that's why planes are only allowed to start their engine when they're at a certain point, which is clear of, of the ground. So you'll see on the ground at airports, you'll see uh, almost looks like uh, road markings like you'd see in a street. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing there. Once you're past those areas, then you can safely operate the plane under its own power. Um, sometimes the plane may have to come back to the gate and it may still be hooked up to the tug. That's the only other time it would be not on its own power. But obviously they don't want to be uh, running their engine and um, injuring someone or, or property. So there's established areas where they do not want the aircraft running up their engine because there's just too much going on there. And it could blow, they call it FOD, foreign object degree, around. And then if that gets on the run, that can get sucked into the engines of the airplane and so forth. So, yeah, I was going to ask about debris and stuff. So I see those uh, those little trucks with the yellow lights flying up and down the runways or on the side of the runways. Is that what they're doing? Are they cleaning out uh, debris or, or keeping the runways clear? Uh, it could be. They could be maintenance crews as well. Mm-hmm. Stuff. You know, there's a lot of there's lights and there's. Um, navigation equipment and so forth that may be on on the runways but a lot of times those trucks are driving around they're, they're doing checks to make sure there's no debris or there may have been like a, a flight may have reported that there was something blowing around the runway and the truck may go over there or it could be birds or something they're trying to scare away as well oh, good to know so uh someone mailed in actually um after our fear of flying episode somebody actually emailed a question in and asked, do the pilots really check outside the plane before every single flight, or is that ever missed? And I guess their concern was, you know, they look out the window and they don't see someone walking around the plane checking it. Do they actually do that every time? Yeah, so that's called a pre-check or or pre-flight, and either the flight crew is going to do that or someone from the maintenance ground crew is going to do that. It's Mm going to be handled by only certain people. They're not going to just have like a baggage handling weapon because they don't know what they're looking for. Right. So the pilots are going to look walk around. They're going to look at the ailerons and the rudders and the engines. They're going to make sure everything looks in order. And for when I worked for uh, JetBlue, they actually had the maintenance crew do that. So save some time. But somebody, whether it's a, a pilot or a ground crew, is going to do that. And if you don't see them walking around, it is possible that they just brought that flight in and they knew that there were no issues. So it's safe to, to them or they feel confident that it's going to be safe to operate that aircraft uh, on, on a quick turnaround. Right. And they're checking stuff, too, before they even pull out, right? They're checking the flaps and the rudders. Yeah, well, everything. There's, there's yeah. checklists. There's tons and tons of things to check on an airplane. I would recommend anyone who has questions, just watch a YouTube flight deck video, and you'll see that the mm-hmm. amount of checklists. Even when I used to fly small single-engine airplanes, the checklists were pretty extensive. So you can just imagine with all the – advanced systems on those airplanes what what they're checking for and of course a lot of it is automated so it helps them get through the checklist faster but they still have to check hundreds of things so one last question about uh 
this topic, uh, the flight attendants. I was reading that flight attendants, uh, and you mentioned, you know, they go through safety checks and, you know, to ensure there's a, there's a safe flight. You know, they also have a, a, a hand in doing that. Um, but I read that flight attendants are required to be able to swim for 25 minutes. I don't know if you've ever heard that or if that's true, but I've seen some flight attendants on flights I've been on that would probably sink like a stone. I don't know much about the flight attendant training. I will say when I went through my initial training to work as the flight dispatcher, we went to the same training center as the flight attendants and they had, you know, the, the, the airplane mock-up like you see in a movie, like you think you're in an airplane mm-hmm. and that's where they train them to do all their emergency procedures. I don't know what the requirements are for the flight. I mean, to swim for 25 minutes, that sounds almost like a lifeguarding test. So I don't right. know. This seems pretty hard. That, I don't think yeah. I could even do it at this point. No, I know I wouldn't. They do go through a lot of training though. They're, they're not yeah. just there to serve drinks. Right. They are there for your safety. Although some of them, I do question whether I would feel safe with them <laughs> in control of the situation, but that is what they're trained to do. <laughs> well, thank you for all this information. And I'm sure we'll be on this topic again. Uh, like I said, we had emails come in and we had a lot of great feedback around these airline episodes. So thank you for that. And I also wanted to share with some folks and I didn't brief you on this, but uh, I understand that you had a bit of a squirrel problem late I had, recently. I had a situation in my house, not my house, my shed in my backyard, where we had a squirrel who was determined to not vacate the premises, even <laughs> though I gave him his eviction notice, him or her, he or she refused <laughs> to leave. It was it was like the movie Caddyshack. I did everything to try and scare it away. You know, they, they play music. I played an air raid siren off of YouTube at full blast. I think the neighbors are rowing, so I could stop doing that. Um, I had lights on in there, nothing. Every time I'd open the door, the school would run around, and you could just hear them scurrying mm-hmm. around. So I ended up getting – I want to do the humane thing. I had no intent of killing it. I just don't – I don't believe in that. Um, so I <laughs> – got myself a squirrel trap and put it on the floor. I had a, a camera in there so I could see what's yeah. going on. And every time the motion detector would go off, I'd go and watch and I'd see him and I was watching with my wife. I'm like, oh, look, there he goes. He's going towards the trap. He would take the food out of the trap and he wouldn't even set it up like he or she. I don't know. But this squirrel must have been around the block a few times because <laughs> the squirrel would go in, grab the food and back up and knew not to touch the trap. And of course, the, when I finally did catch squirrel four days later actually bought two traps because the first one wasn't working when i got to the, the point where the squirrel was caught i didn't even get, get touched on video for some reason didn't even set up the motion detector so i didn't even get to see how it happened but the squirrel was not happy when i went in there i'd never heard a squirrel growl before it growled and uh i walked it uh about a quarter mile down the road we at the end of our street we have um, like uh, bike trails and hiking trails. So I let the squirrel free over there. And I'm sure the squirrel will be back. But yeah. I don't know how how he or she got in, but it was comical. It was I was Wiley Coyote for four days. So 
I wish this podcast was on TV because Lee sent me the video. Uh, and I swear there's one point where the squirrel's actually looking into the camera and giving him the finger. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know how dangerous or not certain squirrels could be. You know, some of them are more, you know, uh, scared away than others. Mm. This one you know, would be scared at first when, you know, I'd open the door, but like he, he or she, I, I don't, I don't want to say it was a male or female because I don't know, was staring at me a lot of times <laughs> when I go in there and would not move a, a muscle. So sometimes I thought the squirrel was gone, but then I would see the squirrel on, on film running around. And I was actually, I didn't know if it had rabies or anything. So, you know, I was trying to be careful. I don't want to get too close. I don't want to scare the squirrel into, you know, going after me, but there was one one situation where I went in there to to change the trap. The squirrel heard it, ran around, scared me. I ran out the door. <laughs> I watched I just that clip that you texted me like four hundred yeah. times, and I laugh every oh, time. Man. It was hilarious. I I think it's the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. <laughs> um, you know, the squirrel probably wasn't going to hurt me, but. <laughs> you should the post that on YouTube. Making, that was awesome. Yeah. The sounds that squirrel was making did not sound like a normal squirrel to me. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a mutant, but uh, <laughs> it was comical. And I'm keep, so I know why we, when we moved in, now I know why there were a couple traps in that shed. And I was like, when we moved in, I was like, why are these here? I threw them away. So now I know that they must have a squirrel problem in the shed every now and then. But I sealed it up then. But. I it's fun. The, I know what to do now. <laughs> the uh, yeah. squirrels. I was telling you uh, in in the Boston Common are pretty cool. They're pretty laid back. Um, they'll crawl up your pant leg. Uh, definitely eat out of your hand. I, I, and you know, obviously, they're so used Not to people. Here. But yours sounds live, a little advanced. Where I live, there's there's a lot of wildlife where I live. You know, we have. Deer, we have buck, we have all sorts of mm -hmm. in our yard all the time. We have a family of deer in there every now and then. Tons of squirrels, tons of chipmunks. Uh, I just found out I have voles in my front yard because I saw the tracks they led. For, for if you're not sure what a vole is, like a it's a, like a field mouse, but they bury into the into the lawn. So it looks like little tunnels everywhere. So we got voles. So we got all sorts of wildlife here: raccoons, um, fox, and apparently, you know, I I have the Ring doorbell and on the Ring app. I get notifications that there are bears in the area. People are reporting bears. Damn. So, I mean, there's everything where I live. It's not like I'm living in the country either. It's just there's a lot of wooded areas there. Yeah, you're far enough out. I mean, in the city where we are, we just have to worry about the uh, cat-sized rats on garbage night yeah. and the wackadoos that roam the streets talking to themselves. I don't know if anybody's like talking to themselves anymore or they have like a, an earbud in the air and they're on the phone. So years ago, we always used to think those people are crazy. Now they might be having a conversation I, with someone. I just assume everyone's crazy when yeah. I see them talking and, and, and I see them alone. So I try to, I just stay away. Right. But then again, you know what I started doing when I used to take the subway into areas that were kind of scary, I'd start doing that too to make people think I was crazy. So <laughs> now I just talk to myself. Well, if they, if they watch that squirrel video, they would oh think that you were crazy. I'm an easy target. Yeah. <laughs> Man, not anymore. After seeing that, I think, I, I think I've 
I've matured enough to know. But in, the funny thing is, is I think I scored the squirrel too because he fell off, <laughs> off the ledge he was on when he when he heard me run out of the shed. I heard a raccoon in the and, and he may have been <laughs> maybe raccoons or predators or squirrels. I don't know, but I heard a, a raccoon in the background, and I was like, "What is that?" And then I heard it again, and then I heard the squirrel move, and it startled me. I don't know why I why it scared me so much, but I ran out of the shed, and you've seen the video of the squirrel running and fell and, and falling itself. So. <laughs> Maybe they, he was afraid of the raccoon. Or they, maybe he was afraid of me. I don't know. Maybe they're working but in he, conjunction with each other. Yeah, but I mean, Squirrel was not harmed in any manner. Good he, to know. She was released and happy once they left the Squirrel go, ran up a tree, and that was it. And we, we did farewell. All right. So nobody could write in about cruelty to animals. No. No, I don't, I'm not cruel to animals. I like animals for the most part, depending what animal it is. Mm. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't harm a squirrel if I, I mean, unless it was going after me or my family, but you know, kind of like the line on Seinfeld, I thought we had a deal. Yeah. <laughs> I leave it alone, it leaves me alone. We had a deal. Yeah. Well, it could have been worse. You could have had to take it to the, the vet and they had to order tiny little instruments for the squirrel. You know, I probably, you know, I, I would be the person to bring it to a doctor and be like, save it. But <laughs> uh, yeah, sports didn't come to that point. Well, thank you for sharing that. that, that yeah, it was, it was a comical, comical four days last Oh, week. yeah, that made my whole week. <laughs> Glad. All right, so we will be back again next week, and I'm sure we have a lot of, a lot of topics coming up. Thank you for joining us again. Absolutely, my pleasure. I've got all sorts of wealth of information that nobody really needs to know about. Yeah, and that's exactly why I started this podcast, because I know a little bit about a lot of things. Well, I would say nobody needs to know the stuff I know, but it's interesting stuff. Well, we're going to let them know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank Alrighty. you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. And clear. So that'll wrap up another episode. And I want to remind you guys on how you can reach out to us or connect with us or find us out in the internet universe. Uh, we can be found on Linktree, and that is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Savopedia Media, S-A-V-O-P-E-D-I-A-M-E-D-I-A, all one word. You will find on Linktree, that is like your one-stop shop, as I always say. If you go on Linktree, that connects you with all of the links to all of the podcast apps that we're on and then some. And if you scroll down to the bottom, if you're using your phone or your uh, laptop, if you scroll down to the bottom, you will be connected to us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, voicemail, and email. So if you have any suggestions or feedback, feel free to hit that email uh, button on the bottom of the Linktree page and you'll be connected directly to us. And don't forget, you can also contact me on SavopediaMedia.com, and that is our direct website, which the Linktree app will also connect you with, and that is www.savopediamedia.com. And don't forget, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please like, subscribe, and leave a rating. Uh, I know Apple does these ratings, and the ratings are very important to us, so hopefully we get a few stars. 
and that would be great. And as I say every week, we, we thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. I honestly thank you for listening to this show each week. And hopefully we're going to be having a lot more, uh, more entertaining episodes coming up and some I think you're going to enjoy. So thank you again. I hope you all have a great week, and we'll see you again next week on Savopedia.